Hey, Dominic. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Just hold on one second while I just adjust something in my settings whereby I hear you through. There we go. So I'm listening to you through my speakers now. So we have the full studio experience. Good man. So we're looking at about 15 minutes here. We'll just crack straight in. Okay. I, I often end up doing little interviews where I speak to people who have unusual careers. And mm -hmm. it strikes me that you have got an unusual career, fella, because you are, and you're from a line of potentially people with unusual careers. Was your dad not a playwright? My dad was a playwright and he was a, he was a theatrical, basically. He was a playwright, but he was also an actor, a director, a producer. He was a man of the theatre. And you have performed in some way with Davina McCall, and I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I have the rare <clears throat> claim to a fame to have been in what is widely regarded as the worst sitcom of all time and also <laughs> the worst sketch show of all time. And I had minor roles in both. <laughs> well, what was Captain Rimming? <clears throat> In the Mile High Club, what was that? <laughs> I don't know where you've got all this from, but Captain Rimming <laughs> was there was a an act called Pam Ann who used to do a uh, an air stewardess act. Right. I think she still does it. She's quite big on the gay circuit, and um, and they made a pilot on Channel Four, and I was her sort of dishy captain that she had a crush on, and his name was Captain Rimming. <laughs> rimming by name, rimming by nature. <laughs> <laughs> That's just unbelievable uh, that they would do that. And the other one I found was you were a gay salsa teacher called Jez in Murder in Suburbia. Is that right? Yeah, I was. I was a. I was always a very good salsa dancer. Uh, and um, and I once got a part where they needed a salsa teacher, mm -hmm. and but he was gay, so I had to sort of make him very very camp. And there's some quite funny footage somewhere on the internet. I was was quite proud of that role in, yeah, what was that? Murder in Suburbia, I think. Yeah, Murder in Suburbia. Yeah, yeah. So what would you, if people say, if you meet someone at a dinner party, <coughs> the proverbial dinner party, and someone says, what do you do, Dominic? What do you say? I try and avoid the question because it leads me down a rabbit hole of having to have about a million conversations. But I tend, if I don't want to have a conversation, I'll just go financial writer. And then people will sort of go, oh, OK, but um, it, 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 but because if, if I go stand up comedian, then you have to have the whole, oh, you must be brave. God, that must be hard. You have to have that whole conversation. So but I, I guess technically I'm a writer performer. Also, if you say you're a stand up, they're going to have an expectation that you're going to be screamingly funny in in oh, the yeah. course of the conversation with them and they might not be a good news for your yeah, there's always some card who goes oh we'll say something funny and then you're then obliged to say something funny and then if you're not if it's what you say is deemed not funny you're suddenly on 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 show you know if if you say i'm a lawyer then and then i go ah well uh, give, show me a law tell me a good law or something like that you know and then the lawyer can't come up with a law you know, it's, you, you get the point. Right. Yeah. Someone demands you write them a contract. I guess the stock and trade, the stock answer could be your mother. Like whatever they say, just revert to schoolboy humor and hit them with your mother. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you could do that, but it's a little aggressive for early in the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So what I wanted to 
those who know me know that I've interviewed you a few times on different topics, but tell me about Kisses on a Postcard. Because when I, hold on, I'll just preface it by saying when I heard you describe it and tell a bit of the story, no pressure, but it brought me to tears just hearing you describe it to someone else. But what is it all about? Well, I regard Kisses on a Postcard as the most important thing I've ever done. It's my sort of been become my life's mission to to make it. And it was a it was a story written by my dad about excuse me, I just need to clear clear my throat <clears throat> about his time uh, in World War Two, when he as a seven year old boy and his brother, Jack, my uncle, who was 11, were both taken from their parents in southeast London, put on a train and sent down to Cornwall. Uh, and they were two of three and a half, four million kids across the country who were evacuated to escape German bombs. And it's this incredible episode in British history. And it's the largest movement of people ever in our history. And it's one of the great untold stories. For some reason, it's just it's not widely known. And it just caused disruption to pretty much every family in every city across the country. And dad um, was seven and his brother Jack was 11. And they ended up in Cornwall and they spent the next four years down in Cornwall, the whole of World War Two. And Kisses on a Postcard is the story of his time there. And it started as a radio play in the 80s. Uh, and it was on BBC Radio 4, and it was just brilliant. And then it was optioned to be a film, and it got stuck in development hell. Ken Loach was going to do it, and then he wasn't going to do it, and then he was going to do it. And eventually, it was adapted into a musical, together with Dad and his friend Jeremy James Taylor, who was the founder of the National Youth Music Theatre, and a chap called Gordon Clyde, uh, who's sadly no longer with us. And then, and I fell in love with it, and I the only reason I ever became a financial writer was because I was trying to raise five, work out how to make five million quid in order to bring this show into the West End. Oh, and wow. so, uh, you know, I've got this career, I've written all these books, I've written a weekly comment co- column for Money Week for 16 years. All I was trying to do was work out how to make five million quid to make this thing happen. <laughs> <laughs> and you've made and, it. You must have well, made five million. The problem is, you know, if, if you're going to invest five million quid in a West End musical, in other words, if you've got five million quid to lose, you probably need to be worth, I don't know, 20 million or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, you, if you're going to lose 5 million quid, you can't be worth just 5 million quid. <laughs> you have to be able to afford to lose 5 million quid. Anyway, um, during the lock, Dad died in 2020. And then during the lockdown, um, I just had, I found this, I, when I was clearing through stuff, I found the script and it was just on, there's a sort of shelf by my desk and I put it on the shelf. And every day in the lockdown, it was just looking at me. And I was going, if I don't make this happen, nobody's going to nobody's going to do it. And so um, I adapted it and I couldn't make it into a film because it's just too much money and I don't have the right allies. And I couldn't do a West End show because it was COVID. So I, um, I made a podcast version of it, an audio version of it. And mm-hmm. it's four and a half, half hours long and it's epic. It's like a 
it's like it's got a cast of over 50 it's got a 15 piece orchestra we recorded it at abbey road it's cost me an absolute fortune i'm going to lose a lot of money on it not five million quid but i'm still going to lose but but it's now exists and it's permanent and it's beautiful and now i'm just trying to get as many people to listen to it as possible so how, um, how do we send people to it well, before i i've got a question about um about the actual um movement of all those kids but before before i ask it tell me right now just so we sure. have it in the middle of the we chat. can How do, do and, and, um thor what we can do is is I, i've sent you a, i've messaged you a link to all the songs okay. um or some of the songs and what we can do is i can tell you just one little story from the show and and then you can play the song and we could kind of end the podcast with that if you like well, that's um, that's not going to happen because that's way too complex editing. And I'm sat in an Airbnb in Edinburgh recording this on my iPhone. So that is way beyond my technical capabilities. All right. OK, <laughs> Great we, won't, we won't do that. Um, so you go to kissesonapostcard.com and at kissesonapostcard.com, you can either click on the link to the you'll get it via Apple Podcasts or you can get it via Google or Android Podcasts. Or there's also CDs if you want to buy the CD. But the show is free, and I just want as many people to listen to it as possible. So, cool. kissesonapostcard.com. Kisses kisses or even just if you just open your podcast app on your phone and just type in Kisses on a Postcard. Okay. And I promise you, treat it like an audio book. Listen to it as you'd listen to an audio book. And I promise you four and a half hours of, of pleasure and joy. Nice one. Well, tell me this, right? Did the kids, like, did the government enforce that evacuation? Did the kids basically get taken away because of the trauma of that? I mean, if that is what happened. Um, I wouldn't say they enforced it in a way, for example, I don't know, uh, what have they forced? I mean, it, they organised it and they basically, it, 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 there's a many parallels with COVID is they, they I, I don't know if they forced it because I think there are one or two examples of parents who wouldn't send their kids away. Yeah. But if you know your city is about to be bombed, you know, you know, the last soldiers have just evacuated Dunkirk and you know the Germans are coming to bomb London. You are terrified in the same way that do you remember how frightened everyone one was at the beginning of the pandemic? It's like this, this this fear of the unknown. And so everyone did it. A, there was a lot more trust in government then than there is now. And B, they were scared for the survival of their kids. So. While there will be examples of people who went against it, um, you know, in the same way, there might be examples of people who, you know, didn't have the vaccine or whatever. And, and there wasn't the same communication ability for people to communicate um, surreptitiously that there is mm. now. So I'm, I, I don't know the exact answer, but I'm going to say they organised it and pretty much enforced it. But if you didn't send your kids, I don't think you went to jail. Yeah, I'm, I'll be brutally honest. I think if I was sat in London or wherever and thinking we were about to get bombed, I might be wondering if there was a farm I could nip off to with my kids. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And I think under the age of five, your parents could come with you. Oh, wow. Over the age of five, they couldn't. Now, um, I'll tell you, the, the, the story deals with the whole of World War Two through the eyes of this tiny little Cornish village yeah. that was turned on its head first by the um, evacuation of all these kids and then by the arrival of the American soldiers before D-Day and just it's the whole of World War II but in this little village 
But I'm going to just tell you the story of the first 15 or 20 minutes, Thor, and I'm probably going to cry. So because I always I've got something in my head that every time I tell this story, I cry and I can't stop myself. But so we've got the scene. The last British soldiers have just been evacuated from Dunkirk. We know that London is about to be bombed and we're in a tiny house in uh, in Deptford in southeast London. And mum, my grandma is talking to her two boys and she's saying you know she's packed their bags slippers socks whatever they've got their little gas masks they've got a label tied around their neck saying who their, their names terry frisbee form 7c or whatever it was can you imagine just 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 a label that's all there were, there were no phones or anything <laughs> and she knows she's got to send her kids away she doesn't know where they're going she doesn't know who's going to be taking them in. She doesn't know how long they're going to be gone for. Can you imagine the, the pain to a mother, to a parent? Anyway, in order to turn the whole thing into an adventure for them, she, she, you know, to make light of it, she tried to turn it into an adventure and she invented this secret code for the two boys. And she gave them a postcard. And on the postcard, it said, Dear Mum and Dad, arrived safe and well, love Jack and Terry and then it had they were to write the address of where they ended up on yeah. this postcard and then they were to send it home and the boys are like yeah well what's the code and she said this is the code you know how to write kisses you put one kiss if it's horrible and I'll come straight down and get you you put two kisses if it's okay and you put three kisses if it's nice and then she would know so that was their code. She walks them out into the street. She walks them down to the station, Deptford station. The whole of the school is there. They're put on the train. All these mums and dads waving goodbye to their kids, not knowing if they will ever see them again. Imagine that. You just put your kids on a train and you don't know if you will ever see them again. And off they go on the train, everyone in their class, and they go on this train ride all the way across London, then all the way down through the West Country, through, through um, you know, Surrey and Hampshire and Dorset and all these places. And eventually they end up in Liscard in Cornwall and they're put on a bus and then, this, you know, 50 kids on one bus, 50 kids on another bus. And they are driven to wherever they go. And the school is broken up for eternity. And dad and his brother ended up in this little village hall. Oh, this was the other thing that, that mum had said to them. They had to stay together. No yeah. matter what, they had to stay together. So they end up in this little village hall in, in a village called Dobwalls. And middle of nowhere job. And they're herded into the centre of the hall. And all the locals who have got these funny who are Cornish accents, all that, dressed in strange ways with strange voices, strange smells, are just standing there looking at these 50 or so kids in the village hall. And... The expression was, I'll take that one there. Mm -hmm. And that is how destiny was sealed. That was the expression. So somebody's going, I'll take that one. And the kids were literally picked out at random by families. And that would be where they would spend the rest of the war. And dad and his brother were picked out, not by a Cornish couple, but by a Welsh couple, a lady called Auntie Rose and he was called Uncle Jack, and he was only five foot tall. And he had been a soldier in World War I in a regiment called the Welsh Bantams. And he was 
one of only 17 people who survived one of the great massacres of, of World War One, Mamet's Wood. And, you know, you can imagine that it just left him in a certain way for the rest of his yeah. life, as it did a lot of those soldiers. And he had been a coal miner in Wales, then a soldier in World War One, and then he when he went back to his village, he was the only man who went back to his village in Wales and they couldn't, him and his wife couldn't bear it. And so yeah. they left and they came down to Cornwall and he was now a plate layer on the great Western railway. Yeah. And my granddad worked on the railways and dad and his brother had that love that people of that generation have for steam engines and all that. So they went to this house, a tiny cottage at the end of a row of cottages. They were taken back to this house, two mile walk back to this house. And the, the cottage is, there's no electricity. They don't have electricity yet. It's just oil lamps. And there's a cat asleep by the hearth. There's a canary in a cage. Um, it's smelt of cooking. There's chickens in the backyard, a pig. Um, and at the end of the road, there's the railway. Trains going past the main line, London to Penzance. Um, outside, there are woods and, and, and valleys with rivers to dam and woods to explore and all the rest of it and coombs and tours and all that beautiful Cornish countryside on the edge of uh, Bobham and Moor. And um, Auntie Rose and Uncle Jack had this funny son called Gwyn who would go off and become a soldier. And dad and his brother looked at it and they, th they thought they had died and Sorry, this is the bit when I cry. <laughs> this is they thought they had died and gone to heaven. They just they thought it was like holiday, being on holiday, but without yeah. the sea. Yeah, this, this incredible place where they ended up. And so that night on their first night, they have to um, decide how many kisses to put on their postcard and send it home. And because they knew how worried their mum was going to be about them they decided to totally cover the card in kisses and they took that card and then they sent it home and so that's the first 20 minutes of the show and it's as i say it's a beautiful show it's full of laughter pain joy and everything else and and i'd be delighted if your listeners would listen to it kisses on a postcard.com is where you can find it that's amazing dominic thank you man I've got moist eyes myself. Um, <laughs> it does remind me, though. I mean, nobody knew how long the war was going to be. And so it's easy for us looking back to go, oh, well, they knew it was going to be four years, five years. Nobody knew that. This could have been forever. And it also makes That's me... That's right. The future is unknown. ...determined to be the rare thing I'm finding at the moment, the truly anti-war voice. Because it's easy to be anti-war in hindsight, but at the time, oh, yeah, wars seem like a great idea. So uh, I've become that over the last couple of years. It's odd for a guy that wanted to join the Marines as a kid. But man, the more, when I hear a story like that, oh, yeah, devastating. Anyway, I've got to jump, sir, because it's nearly half past. I've got another call. Thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, I'll do my best to promote uh, Kisses on a Postcard. Beautiful story. Thank you, Thor. Take care. Bye.